Welcome to Round Trip Death, Happy New Year, and welcome to Season 2 of the podcast. We are so grateful for you, our listeners all over the world, who are making this show a big success. And today's show just may be our very best episode yet. We're going to hear from Vinnie Tolman, who was dead for an hour and a half before being revived. Oh, I don't want to give it all away. Let's jump right into the conversation. Okay, for our listeners out there, if you have not heard Vinny's story yet, this is going to blow you away. This is something that uh, that you just haven't heard before. The name of our show is Round Trip Death, meaning people that die see the other side and come back to talk about it. And some people that we talk to have a very short NDE or out-of-body experience close to death. Um, this is one where... This guy, let's just say, I call him body bag guy. I hope that's not an insult, Vinny. Not at all. <laughs> anyway, good morning. How are you? Doing great. Doing awesome. Great to be here today. Uh, so we have Vincent Tolman. Uh, when we get closer to the end of this podcast, we'll tell you about his book so you can hear his whole story there. But... Um, Wow, this is going to be really cool for people to hear. It blew me away, as you were telling me the other day. And let's go back. How many years ago did this happen? So this coming January, it'll be 20 years. So it was uh, January 18th, 2003. Okay. And you were just an average guy living in a, a moderate, you know, kind of suburban city in Utah. Mm -hmm. And what was your life like then? So, you know, my, my day to day was consisted of, uh, you know, working out I work out in the mornings with my buddy and then, uh, go to work and <clears throat> sometimes had to work out after work. And, uh, of course my weekends were filled with regular things everybody in Utah did. And at the time, one of the things we would do is go to the auto show. And that was one of the things we were going to do that day was, was go to the auto show after a quick workout. And you took some natural supplements to help with the rejuvenation after workouts. Do you mind if I ask you what that was? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. So it was a, it was a product back then. It was called Furanone Dehydro. And what it was is a, a, a naturally found or, or naturally derived chemical that when you put it in the body, it, it doubles and even triples your muscle recovery time. So, um, you know, someone who is in that to natural bodybuilding, which we both were both me and my buddy, um, it would allow us to work out our arms every day or our chest every day. We wouldn't have to alternate days. We could do it every day. Um, whereas traditional bodybuilding without any supplementation, you couldn't work out your arms every day. You couldn't work out your chest every day. You just have to alternate days. Yeah. That's where we get the term leg day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what day of the week was this that this happened? This was a Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So set the stage. It's a Saturday morning. You guys decide to go get something healthy for breakfast, like Dairy Queen. <laughs> what had happened is we had we had actually planned on not even uh, really grabbing anything to eat. We had planned on just taking our supplement, going and working out, and then headed up to. We were planning on going up to the auto show that was in at uh, I think at the time it was at the Salt Palace or the Delta Center at the time. What happened next? So we, we both took the supplement and as soon as we took the supplement, we knew it was bad. We knew something was off about it. it. Even though it looked and tasted normal, 
something was off about it. Um, and we figured, you know, maybe getting something to eat would, would help us feel better. So we went straight to that Dairy Queen and, and went to go grab something to eat. And what you didn't realize was this was a different brand or a different batch. And it was much, much, much stronger than what you normally took, right? Yeah. So what we didn't realize is everything we were getting in the United States from American suppliers was a 5% diluted solution. And everything outside the United States was a 100% solution. So even though it was available both in and out of the United States, everything outside the States was a 100% solution, meaning 20 times stronger than the American stuff. And it was a liquid supplement. So it was, you know, even though it tasted the same, it was 20 times stronger than, than normal. Okay, go ahead and get into your story. So you're thinking, oh, some food will feel a little bit better. No big deal. You go to Dairy Queen. What happens then? So we, you know, we we barely get it to Dairy Queen. My buddy is starting to nod his head as he's driving. I'm I'm in the passenger seat, kind of shake him awake as we get there. Um, we park. I went straight in and went to the bathroom, and the, the bathroom there uh, is a single use bathroom. So went in, locked the door. Um, he, my buddy stumbled in, he stumbled in and collapsed on one of the booths right by the door. Uh, he began to vomit right there. So the manager came over, saw him, you know, called 911 and got an ambulance there and they hauled him away. Uh, no problem. He, he actually went and got his, you know, stomach pumped and, and he was fine. He got out of the hospital, um, a bit later, whereas, uh, where I was, nobody saw us coming together. So, there I was in the bathroom. I too passed out. I started to vomit. The problem was when I passed out, I was on my back. So I started to aspirate as I vomited. Um, and so I suffocated essentially. And I'm guessing you locked the door when you went in. We all would. I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In traditional way, you know, I locked the door when I went in and unfortunately, um, nobody saw me go in. Everybody saw my buddy come in, but they didn't see me go in. Cause I, I was so quick. Um, I, I felt really nauseated when I came in and from my perspective, I was seeing the room in the bathroom. I was seeing that it was starting to get dizzy. It felt like the whole world was shaking and moving on me. And then, and then that's, that's the last I remember. The next thing I remember, I'm sitting here watching what looks like a movie and, um, and, you know, in, in the past I'd worked in the movie industry. So. I was sitting here watching this movie that was panned from the ceiling looking down. And I, I, I thought, well, that's odd. Why would a, a director shoot a film, you know, from the ceiling down perspective? But uh, I was sitting there watching what I thought was a movie. And uh, it didn't dawn on me what I was looking at was actually my body and, and where I had died. Okay. How did you get found? Um, so as I'm, I'm sitting there watching everything happen. I see them Halloween, my buddy in an ambulance. I see that, that nobody knows I'm in there. I, and again, I don't know it's me because me is up here watching what's going on. It's not even possible that it's me down there, you know? And so I'm sitting there watching things happen. I see a customer go and try a, a gentleman, try to use the bathroom, tried to open it. It was locked and he kept his eye on it and noticed that nobody was coming out. And after about like 30, 45 minutes of nobody coming out, um, and this is long past my buddy leaving. He goes to the manager and says, Hey, can I use the restroom? I think the door is locked. And, and, uh, he did say, he's like, I think there might be somebody in trouble in there because I hear a phone ringing and nobody's answering it. So 
he went over, you know, the manager went over and, and, you know, knocked on the door, unlocked it, opened it up. And there's a dead guy on the floor. So, you know, they called 911 again. This time, um, 911 kind of walked them through checking the body for, for a pulse. And uh, the second that they, uh, the manager himself didn't actually check the body. He went and got one of his, his underlings, a girl that worked for him. And she was making him or making her touch the body. And, um, and she, when she touched it, she like kind of cringed. She's like, no, it's cold. And um, so 911 said, you know, secure the room. Don't let anybody in there. Um, the ambulance, ambulance is on its way. The police are on their way. And so from there, that's, that's essentially how, how uh, the body got processed. The, the ambulance shows up, the doors, you know, kind of closed and they're waiting for the ambulance to get there. They let them in there. Um, they do some preliminary checking with the body and they do pronounce it dead. They uh, put the body in a bag, uh, you know, put it in the back of an ambulance. This medical team though, is two veteran medics and one rookie medic. So the rookie medic is his first week on the job. He, he feels very dismayed. And that's something else that was kind of odd to me from my perspective. I could hear and feel the feelings and thoughts of everybody around, which again, I'm thinking this is a movie. So I'm thinking this is really weird that, that the director would allow me to hear everyone's thoughts and, and feel everyone's feelings. Um, and so I'm sitting here feeling the dismay of this rookie. He feels horrible that he can't try, that he can't, he can't try to get this body resuscitated, try to save this guy. And they, you know, they go ahead and they bag up the body. They put it in the ambulance and, and, uh, and as they're doing the paperwork and, and all of that, they're almost done. Um, a police officer shows up, signs some paperwork with them. Uh, they trade some paperwork and, and then off they go to turn the bat, the body into the medical examiner. And as they pull away from my perspective, where I am, I feel this very, very strong energy go over my left shoulder from behind me. And this, this strong energy, I see it and feel it go to the medic who's sitting in the back, the rookie. And, and when it hits him, he starts to glow. He, he literally starts to glow like light glowing from inside him uh, around the heart area. And all of a sudden I hear very loudly, this one's not dead. Um, which was really weird. Cause it was, it was very, very loud and I could hear it to myself. And the, the, the rookie medic kind of looked around and was thinking, well, maybe, maybe someone's playing a joke on me. And, and he had kind of that thought and then, then thought, no, that wasn't anybody else. That was something else. And uh, a few few feet down the road later, I feel it again, this strong pulse of energy over my left shoulder and and it and it hits him again, but the light grows brighter and it goes bright bigger than from just around his heart and it actually starts to glow for about essentially from his waist to the top of his head. And um, I hear it again a second time, but even louder this time, this one's not dead. And that was enough for him, the medic, the rookie, that he decided to take action. So, you know, unbeknownst to his other two medics that he's working with, he goes ahead and unzips the body bag and starts feeling around the neck. He feels around the arm for a pulse. The body's cold at this time. And he knows that, you know, he's, he doesn't know what he's necessarily doing. He just knows he has to, to take action on what he felt. Um, 
he didn't feel a pulse under the arm, didn't feel a pulse at the neck. So he, he undid a couple of straps on the, on the body and went down, uh, unzipped further and went down to the inside of the groin. He was feeling for the, the femoral artery or the big artery down there. And as he, he was feeling for that, he pushed past the muscle tissue in the leg and actually uh, made contact with the femur bone. As he did that, um, I felt like a spark, an ignition, almost like a, a shock, like a, a physical shock where I was. And I felt him feel it too. Like we both felt this shock. And where you were at that time was still an observer kind of position. Yes. Still in a complete observation. Yeah. Looking down on what's happening. Okay. And you're feeling somehow what he's feeling. Okay. Keep going. So I, I feel, I feel that shock or, or kind of ignition as he goes and, and feels the femur artery and, um, or feels for that. And it was enough to him. He, even though it wasn't necessarily a pulse, it was enough of something out of the norm that he decided, you know what, I got to try to resuscitate him. And I felt that from him that he felt he had to try to resuscitate me. So, um, he went ahead and, and began to process me and, and, uh, you know, go through the process of trying to resuscitate the body, um, out of an aspiration, essentially trying to get oxygen in the lungs. Um, he, he hooked up some diodes on the chest. Uh, he had to cut off the shirt. He, he hooked up some diodes on the chest so that he could, um, you know, shock the body back or shock the heart back. And, uh, up until this point, the other two medics had no idea what he was doing. They were kind of involved in their own conversation ignoring him you know he's just the rookie they're ignoring him um now all of a sudden they they hear the charge alarm on the defibrillator that it makes this alarm before it actually charges the body with electricity and um they they both hear it they hear the alarm go off they look back and they just start laying into him like you're you're going to get fired you can't do this this is a dead body you need to know when to let go um that kind of stuff and and it didn't dissuade him at all. He just went ahead and, and kept with it. He let the, the body get shocked once. It made no difference. The just kind of jumped a little bit. Um, after a second round of shocks, they did, he did get one heartbeat. So he got a single heartbeat and then went back to flatline. And then the third round of shocks, he got a steady faint heartbeat. Um, but, but what was cool though is after the, the second round of shocks with that single heartbeat, it did kind of shut up the other two medics. So they, they allowed him to do what he was doing. And by the third round, um, where the, the heart started again, these other two medics radioed ahead to a hospital that happened to be only a few feet away when this all happened. Um, right there on 800 North, the Timonogos Hospital, they, they were able to get me right into Timonogos Hospital because this, this happened just feet in front of the hospital when my heart came back on the third round. So, um, altogether, there's estimates that have me. Um, being dead for well over 45 minutes. There's estimates that say it could have been well over two hours altogether. Uh, nobody was sitting there with a stopwatch. Um, but from the time that they pronounced me dead, which they found me cold, to the time that I was turned into the hospital, which was moments after my heart started, was uh, a good 45 minutes. So the, there, there's an easy way to document uh, at least 45 minutes of death, if not longer, um, that, that the body was dead, but, but still at this point, I wasn't back in the body. Right. I was watching all of this happen and, and still it didn't dawn on me that it was me at all. 
it, it was just me observing all this going on in front of me. I just want to make sure I get all the detail here because this is a whole lot of information. From the time you were declared dead till your heart started, that was 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Before that, the time you were locked in the bathroom was probably at least a half an hour. At least, yeah. I mean... At least, if not longer. The paramedics had come and gotten your friend and left and somebody finally did something. Then there's also a period of time from when they call 911 until they come and get you and declare you dead. I don't know how long that was. Yeah. And that was a few minutes. It was, it was probably around like five to 10 minutes. Yeah. So I think, I think conservatively, it seems like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it could have even been longer. It's documented at least 45 minutes from the time they found the body till they, till it was just right. resuscitated yeah, and turned in the hospital. So, so with that, that's, that's why when you see some of the documentation of it, we call it 45 minutes because we, we have it documented at 45, uh, beyond that it's, it's speculation of one person versus another, but we know it's at least 45 or more. Yeah. So sure. At least. So the paramedics, okay, he's dead. And they actually put you in a body bag and zip it up, right? Yep, full zipped up body bag, and not just that—they strapped it down like a dead body. So they right. they put a they put a tight strap around the neck area, the chest, the hips, the feet, and it's strapped down tight, like tight. Yeah, yeah. So it's not going to roll roll off yeah. or something, which would be yep. horrible. And they're not headed to the hospital; they're headed to the coroner's office. They are. Yeah. They're headed to the coroner's office, uh, which at the time was in Provo. Um, I don't know if it's still there, but they were headed, you know, to, to hit the freeway and go down to Provo, turn in the body. Right. Whereas, um, uh, it, the, the route that they were going took them right in front of Timpanogos hospital. Yeah. And my heart started about 300 feet from the hospital. I know this area in Orem, Utah, from where that Dairy Queen was, it's no longer there to Timpanogos hospital is it's only a mile or two. I mean, this is yeah, not it's far. right there. It's right yeah. there. Yeah. So this wasn't like this rookie EMT had a half an hour to think about it or something. This happened actually very quickly once the ambulance started going, it sounds like. Yeah. Once once they pulled away from the scene, um, which took a little bit because that, that parking lot's a little tricky for an, an um, an ambulance it had to exit out the far east side to get out of there and and, uh, and so they exited out of the far east of the parking lot and started driving towards the the freeway or towards state street right there right and, and just after they passed state street is where um the second the second shock had happened right around state street and then just past state street the third shock yeah and of course because the body was dead they were in no hurry there wasn't exactly. A, yeah. There wasn't no a rush. siren on and going 80 miles yeah. an hour. They were just nope. kind of cruising safely. Holy cow. Um, okay. <laughs> now, well, go, go ahead and keep going. One thing that I want to come back to at some point is some people, when they have an experience of, of their, of their heart stopping is they are, let, let's say it's in an emergency room and they leave their body and they're up in the corner of the room looking down. Yours was kind of like that. Other people immediately go someplace else, whether it's through a tunnel or whatever, they end up in, in a heavenly kind of place. 
did you stay in that position where you were looking on down on your body the whole time? I did until right after this. So right after this all happened, um, you know, as they were transferring the body from the, the ambulance into the hospital, they had to transfer it off of the, the, the med, the board that they had strapped me to strap the body to as they were transferring the body over from that into an actual hospital gurney or hospital bed. Um, the, because the body had been dead for so long, it was going through some, some major problems. Uh, the body was going into seizures and, and gyrating and foaming at the mouth. Um, as that was happening, the hospital staff, as they're trying to bring the body in, they realized they had to strap the body down. And, um, because it was, you know, gyrating so much in the seizures. So they, they strapped the two legs down and then they went to go strap the arms. They got the right arm strapped down. And as they went to strap the left arm, I actually felt someone strapping my left arm where I was sitting, watching all this happen. So I looked down to see my left arm, but what I saw was the left arm of the body. And that's when it, re- that's when it, the first dawn in, on me that what I'd been watching this whole time was me. And all of a sudden that these, this flood of negative thoughts came to me. Like, you're such an idiot. How could you not know this was you? You've been dead the whole time that you've been witnessing your own death. Um, I had just these very like kind of egotistical thoughts, like you idiot, how could you not know this was you? And as I was sitting there having those thoughts, I started to see just in real quick flashes, all the negative things I'd ever done in my life, which um, I lived a, an okay life, not, not, not like a saint and not like a, a super sinner either, but but I'll tell you, I, I had a lot of bad stuff that I saw that I didn't realize that I I had influence on people. And um, so I saw all these things happening. And as I I was seeing all these negative things that it that it happened and, and I essentially had as an influence on other people, I, I then started to feel this warmth on my back. And um, this warmth started, it felt like just the most amazing, beautiful feeling. There's, there's no words to describe what this feels like because there's nothing in this life that's like it. But, but I'll tell you, it's the best thing that I'd ever felt and ever will feel is this tremendous amount of love that was coming over me. And it felt like it was coming from behind me. As I realized it was coming from behind me, I started to flash and see all the good things that I'd done and not just the good things, but, but the good influences I'd had on people and and how it not just affected them and how, how they affected others with, with the good too. So I got to see kind of the flip side of that. And this is all happening in an instant. So very quick, I, I turned to see where this, this tremendous love is coming from. And I, I turn around, I see this, this man, um, dressed in all white. He's wearing kind of a white suit, but he's also got like this white stole or robe over the top of it. And he's just sitting there smiling and looking at me with the, the smile and, and his pink skin is very, very pink and glistening. It's glistening like, um, like the sand of a beach in the sun and light is literally emitting from him, like literally lights coming from inside him. And I could feel that that tremendous amount of love was coming through him as well. And the, my first thought is, this must be God. And as soon as I, I even had that thought, um, he, the gentleman kind of laughed 
And I just heard his answer without him using his mouth. I just heard, no, son, I'm not God. And then I, my follow-up thought was, well, then you must be Jesus. Even though you don't look like Jesus, you must be Jesus. And, and then he kind of laughed at that and said, no, son, I'm not Jesus either. I'm here as your guide to help you go where you want to go. And you can call me Drake. Um, I just knew to call him Drake because I just knew he, he, he put that out there that I could call him Drake. So I, I, I began to work with this, this guide that was there to help me. And he asked me if I wanted to stay and he showed me back to the body in the hospital. And they were, they were just going to town at that time. They, they were, they were putting stuff in the body, injecting things and doing all sorts of life-saving treatments to the body. And it looked like hell to me. It really did the way that the body was just kind of the center of attention of all these people working on it. Um, I didn't want to go back to that. I wanted to go towards this tremendous love that I felt from this guy. And, and I told him that I, I said, I want to go wherever you're coming from. I can feel the tremendous love coming from you. I want to go towards that. He helped explain to me that we were going to go on a journey that this wasn't just a, a quick journey, but I had to, I had to move from like point A to point B, but I also had to raise my understanding and raise my frequency. I had to raise um, my vibration of who I was to be able to go where we wanted to go. And I said, okay, let's do it. And, and so we began our process, our journey. And um, across this journey, we were moving, you know, through space. I could see space moving around me. We were surrounded in light as we, as we moved, but I could, I could legitimately see like vast amounts of space moving past us as we moved, maybe as if we were inside of a shooting star kind of thing. And as I'm seeing, you know, space move around me, certain principles were, were kind of thrown out to me. And, and it was really funny how it worked. He would send a principle to me like an understanding. I wouldn't call it necessarily even a principle. He would send an understanding to me. And as long as I was willing to accept the possibility that that understanding was true, then we could keep moving. But if I wasn't able to accept that it was possibly truth, then I would slow down my, my own progress. And he would help me. He would, you kind of work with me, give me some, some scenarios, some, some, um, some understandings until I could understand that it was truth. And then we would continue our path. And essentially we went through a lot of understanding to get to actual heaven. These understandings, I, I break them down to essentially 10 principles. There was a bit more than that, but I can break it, break it down to, to 10 primary principles that I had to understand to be able to, to go all the way with him all the way to heaven. And um, so we went through these 10 principles. We made it through all, all 10. We slowed down on a few of them and, and just until I could understand it and embrace it. And then we would continue to move. And we made it all the way towards this, this grand, grand kingdom, this planet that um, is so much more vast than we can understand. It is, it's bigger than hundreds of suns. Uh, you know, in our solar system, it's bigger than million of, you know, more than a million of our earths could fit inside, side to side inside of this planet. This planet's extremely large. And as we approached it, it, it kind of had a glow around the, like if you were to put a big wide belt around this planet, 
and, and consider it like a frosty glow. That's what it looked like. So this planet is, is like complete white. And as we get close to it, I can start picking out that there's some blues and some, some other colors in there. But um, as we're getting close, I noticed that there's kind of this yellow golden light around the outside of the planet, but it's like this really wide belt. So, you know, when you see the, the rings of Saturn, how they're this, this really slim, you know, almost like a razor line belt going around. It was like that, but instead of being the razor line that you see, it was the wide side. So, you know, if you turn those belts up on their side and they went around really wide around the, the planet, that's what it looked like. And as we were approaching, I have a very analytical mind, always have. And I was very interested that what would cause this, this kind of golden frosty color to go around the outside of this planet, this heaven that we we're going to. And um, Drake helped me understand that this is the pearly gate. This is what we would consider. Now, I didn't fully understand that's what we terminology call the pearly gate. But he showed me what it is. And as we got closer, we got to zoom in on one of these, these kind of orbs or pearls of light. And inside each orb is um, a group of souls. And each soul is, is trying to cleanse themselves of certain energies. And this particular one that we went into was a distrust or a inability to forgive your child. And so I, I'm sitting here looking and I see this gentleman. He's from like the late 1800s or early 1900s, the way he was dressed. And he was speaking Italian, but I could understand what he was saying. He was, he was cussing out in his own mind's eye. He was seeing his own son and he was cussing him out. He felt like the actions of his son led to his death. And he was so upset about this. He was just going off in, in Italian. And again, I could understand what he was saying, even though I don't understand Italian. And I could, and he was using his words, his mouth, which was odd because up till this point, no one, you know, not my guide, nothing around me was using the, the communication of a mouth. But here, this gentleman was just going off in Italian. And I'm understanding what he's saying. And, I, and I'm allowed to see what he sees in his own mind. And I see that he's seeing the face of his son as he's, he's just going to town on him, just yelling at him. And I look around and I, I see that, that the light that builds this orb around this soul is, is love. And it's facilitated by angels, literally angels. They're facilitating this orb. And this gentleman is getting to the, getting to the end finally of, of all this like distrust and, and inability to forgive. And he gets to the end and he kind of like takes this breath, like, like gets it out of him. And then he realized where he was. Up until that point, he was in his mind's eye. He was still yelling at his son. And out of nowhere, the second he realized that he wasn't in front of his son anymore, and he took this deep breath, this team of angels came to his side, and he was off. He was gone. They took him, they took him into heaven. Uh, the second that he got done with, with what he needed to cleanse out of him. And so what's, you know, and then right after that, I got to see this lady too, kind of going through the same energy with her daughter where she was blaming her for her, her passing, putting the stress on her of passing and all this stuff. But um, it was, it was neat though, for me to see that even, you know, even in our experience of crossing, if we have some energy that we were carrying with us, 
that God has a process for us to be cleansed of that negative energy before we're, we can get into heaven. And there's a reason for that is because you really have to get to such a high loving frequency or a high loving vibration to be able to get into heaven. And, and how that works is the same way that you couldn't take our physical body right now and you couldn't just put it on the sun because it would be incinerated. You'd have to get to such a high vibration even to get to our sun. And this heaven is even greater than our sun. It's, it, it, it is bright white. It is extremely white. And um, the light coming from this planet of heaven, it actually comes from the planet. There's no like outside sun shining on the planet. Like the light comes from in it. So for us to get there, we have to get to such a high vibrational frequency. We have to be in complete love uh, with, with God and the eternities to be able to get there. And, and so for those who are not in that space, God does have a pearly gate, but it's not a, a fence. It's actually an energetic gate that allows people to cleanse themselves and get, get that negative energy out of them so they can get there. Yeah. So it's not a pearly gate to keep evil people out. It's a way of cleansing and becoming better so that you can get in. Exactly. Because he wants everybody to come in. Absolutely. And here's my tool to help you do so. And our time in the gate would only be facilitated by us. You know, how much time do we need to cleanse ourselves, yeah. to get to the end of our sentence where we're allowed to finally get out of us what we need to get out of us? Yeah. Did your guide, Drake, did he tell you this is heaven? Did you just automatically know this? Was there a name for this planet? Anything else you can fill in there? <laughs> I I asked him, I asked him, because in the process of traveling, um, he helped me understand how vast the universe is and and how vast all of creation is. And it's it's far bigger than what NASA or any of our space agencies could ever explain to us. And he helped me understand that there's life um, everywhere in the universe, everywhere, not just in our little nook and cranny of the universe, like everywhere there is life, everywhere there is creation, there is life. And, and that life form takes so many different forms. And, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing <clears throat> as he was showing me like the vastness of the universe. Then we, we were continuing to go towards our, our target or our goal where we were going. And I had asked him, I'm like, Oh, so there's, there's so many other, you know, parts of life out there. And yet there's still this heaven um, and what I would call heaven, you know, where we're going. And he, he explained to me, yes, this is a heaven, but there are many heavens that there is. Um, there's different heavens for different creation, but this is the, the heaven for essentially creations like myself for humans, essentially. But there's a, a, a grand, grand um, scheme of, of life is the fact that whatever heaven we need is what we're going to get. So um, primarily where, where I was going, this vast place was um, kind of a learning heaven. Uh, like I actually saw a university type structure on the planet where people could go and learn the mysteries of the universe. They could also get cleansed of any harm 
of how they passed or how they had been raised. Um, but even to get there, you would essentially get cleansed mostly of all those things. Cause that, that, that all permeating love that makes everything function. It's so all permeating that it, it just washes away the harm that this world, that this life puts in you. Um, I was raised in a, a pretty rough home. I was raised in a loving home, but an extremely abusive home to the extremes. So I had a lot of black holes in myself growing up and those black holes would show up in fights in altercations specifically with males. I had a lot of altercations with males growing up. And, um, and, and most of that was because of the abuse that was around me that was going on. Um, and so I had a lot to overcome. And what was amazing to me is, is all the, the black holes that were kind of pounded into me as a child, all the darkness that was pounded and beat into me as a child, um, was erased, was erased instantly in the first few moments of this unconditional love. Um, but a lot of it was cause I really embraced it. I did. I, I remember feeling that energy that I, I could embrace it if I wanted to, I didn't have to. And I did embrace it because it was so beautiful to me. And I was able to erase a lot of, of past trauma, past problems that I had picked up in my energetic body of who I was. Um, and, and it's beautiful because that same love is what makes the whole system run in the real universe. Now this is where we live here is the outskirts. This is, this is kind of like the energetic dump of the, of the universe. It's the lowest, lowest, one of the lowest frequencies you can even find in all of creation. So where we live here, um, and we do this on purpose. We, we come here so that we can get some distance from God so that we can learn to make our own decisions, learn the power of agency and creation. Um, and, and then we go back where that just, that, all permeating unconditional love exists and it is so healing and cathartic and it, and it makes everything run over there. That's what makes everything run in the real existence in the universe is love. This just unconditional love. And I, I like to term it as light because it is, it's just the way that light is everywhere there. Um, it's just all permeating. And this love is so tremendous, so tremendous. So, at this point, is it time for you to head back to the hospital or do you see more? You mentioned a university kind of thing. Did you get a full tour of this place? I did. I got, I got essentially the, I got the, the short version of the tour. <laughs> I joke around with my friends. I got the short bus version of the tour, but um, I, I, I actually touched down on this planet. We, we actually got where I could actually feel the grass and I could experience the grass Um the grass had just a, a, an amazing love coming from it. The grass itself, the, to be near it and to touch it, you could actually taste the sweetness of it. Even though you're not eating it or anything, you just tasted it. And the grass itself had an actual music coming from it. And the, just the colors alone of just the colors you could see in a single blade of grass are more colors than this entire world here contains. Just so beautiful. Just simply the grass was just life changing to be there and experience just the grass. Now I got to also experience water. I got to experience flowers and trees and even got to experience this little bug 
um, this little insect, which was just beautiful. And, um, and then I noticed a building uh, off in the distance and I got to see a little bit of what this building was. And it was a university type building where people could go and learn anything they wanted to learn from all the different forms of life, from all the different societies ever, but they were only eternal truths. So you can only go there to learn truths. You couldn't go there to learn misinterpretations or manipulations like we, we learned here. And, and no matter what people say, almost all universities here are only filled with interpretations and manipulations, not eternal truths. Um, only in physics and, and, and only in certain schools are you actually getting unmanipulated, um, uninterpreted eternal truths. Um, most schools everywhere, you're only getting what people want you to learn, not what, what is actually there for us to learn. So, um, yeah, this, this school is amazing. And, and I got to experience a little bit of how, how it works and how someone has to match the frequency of a class or a room to be able to get in. If they can't match it, then the room just doesn't open up. There's just no doorway for them, but they keep walking and there's going to be a doorway for them. So so if it doesn't match them, they just keep walking until the one does match them and a doorway appears, they're able to go in. So it really is built out of um, this love for us, for all of creation, um, and for us to for us to fully comprehend just, just the amount of love that it took to create the grass. We would completely change how we live in this world. Wow. Because that that love is so beautiful and it's and it's for us. It's God loves us so, so much. We have no idea that we are the royalty of all creation. As humans, we are the royalty. We are. We are the kings and queens of all creation because God created the whole universe. And God gathered all the universes, all the, all the creations, and brought it together in one creation here on earth. And with the purpose of, of creating these physical bodies for us to to drive around for a little while for us to learn how to exercise agency and learn how to make our own decisions without the influence of God's love. And why that's important is because when you're in the presence of God's love, anything you want is exactly what God wants because that love is so strong. You, you can't have your own independent thought where you actually want something that God or doesn't want. So God know, knew for us to learn the learn that you know this life is is all about us learning, and the, and it's so funny because so many of our religions teach us that that life is a courtroom, but in actuality it's a classroom. It's not a courtroom; it's a classroom. We're here to learn. That's it. We're here to to learn um, how to how to love, how to create, and how to make choices. That's it. And I, I equate it to like a spiritual gym. We're here to learn the resistance of, of distance and, and making choices and, and exercising those choices so that we can learn to create. And, uh, and, and that becomes very important for us in the long run because, um, you know, we get that power of creation throughout this life here in very limited forms. But as we graduate in a good way, we get to continue to create. We get to do some really amazing, beautiful things um, as we master creation here. But it begins with our choices, just our choices here. 
Did you witness any others? I, I guess I'd call them sort of day-to-day type things besides people in the university. Were there people doing other things? Were there houses? There was. So I, I came down near the university type uh, part of heaven. There is a, a whole nother part that was distant to me, but I was aware of. Um, and this is, this is what they call the transition part of heaven. So when there's mass transitions or mass graduations, um, that means, you know, from our perspective, from the world's perspective, that means big groups of people leaving the earth all at once. That would mean like, you know, wars or that kind of thing. There's this, this big area there for that's specifically for this. And they build these little domes on heaven, um, for these souls, they go into these domes and they're kind of like these pearls of light that we talked about earlier, but it's not, um, it's not something someone has to cleanse because of free agency. It's something that someone has to cleanse because someone else's free agency put them in heaven. Um, so that means the, the bad decisions of mankind ended, you know, ended that person's life. They, they end up in heaven as a, a quote unquote victim well, God cleanses them of that victimness or that victimhood so that, so that they are completely clean as they enter heaven, um, even to the point where it wasn't their choice at all, you know, that this happened to them, but they're there um, to be cleansed so that they can go and do their thing, you know, go and do their special thing. It's, it's really a cool place, though. I got to grasp a little bit of, of what to expect when I go back and how, you know, for, for those of us who have lived where we lost a child and, and we really want to gain that, that time back, that, that missing time with our child, we're actually granted that there. We'll be able to go back and actually have the time we felt we missed, whether it was from a, a baby or from a, an adult child that we lost, or if there's a mother that we lost, we feel early. It's really such a healing place. We get to have what we need out of it. And, and when we get in that space where God's love is just so permeating us and just cleansing us, if we still feel we're missing out on something, God facilitates that we can have, you know, if you want to call it an illusion or whatever you want to call it, we get to have it though. We get to literally have it though, like really have it, um, where we get to experience and have those things we felt we were robbed or missed, you know, in this life, um, in such a beautiful way. Um, but most, most people, they get that, that all tremendous love cleansing them and that's enough. That's all they need, you know, but, but what's so neat though, is that love's so great that they, we get whatever we need out of heaven. We do to heal us, to cleanse us, to get us ready for what's next. And what's next for most of us is, is mastering that power of creation, going out and, and exercising creation and, and mastering that power of it. And still with God's stewardship over us, we're, we're given better responsibilities than we're given here, essentially. You learned a lot in a very short amount of time. Oh, yeah. Very short amount of time. Now, I say time as it related to your body in the hospital. I know time isn't really a thing Yeah. when you're on the other side. So you could experience what to us may seem like years worth here in yeah. pretty much a split second. It was three days. So I was brain dead for three days. And so during those three days is when this was all happening. Yeah. Is there anything else from that experience where you were there in that heavenly place that you want to tell us about before we come back to earth? Well, as, 
the the most beautiful part of my whole experience happened right after all this. So I'm I'm touched down in heaven. I'm experiencing all this. I'm I'm just trying to take in as much as I can. And it was weird. I almost felt like this sense that it was short. Like I had to hurry and get everything I could. Almost like a childlike um, thirst for learning, right? I just really wanted to learn about everything. And my guide, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says to me, he says, Vinny, I know this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. And as he said this, he... He, he went to hug me and there it's really weird because even though there is physical, it's also, it's not physical like here. Here is low density physical and there it's a very higher density where you can take two bodies and, and actually become one for a minute as you hug each other. And, and this hug that we do here is a mimic of what that hug is there. The hug there is where our two, our two energies, our two forces came together in, in one, in God. And he gave me this hug, this, this hug. It's the most beautiful thing that I'd ever felt. I felt truly loved, not because of what I'd done, not because of what I could have done, but because I was, because I am, because I exist. I was just so loved by, by Drake. And, and in essence, God, because Drake was there facilitating God. And he, he helped me understand that he was there as my guide working for God. And I felt just this absolute love from him, from God too, through him. And, and as I was feeling and experiencing this love, out of nowhere, I start hearing a prayer or a blessing being said over my body. Vinny's story is amazing, and there's much more to hear. The rest will be in part two, coming out later this week. In part two, we will hear how Vinny came back and what happened to him after he came back to his body. And believe me, it's just as incredible as what you've heard so far. To be alerted when part two is live, follow the show on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. That'll get you an alert as soon as it's released. Until then... I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.